today we're going to be talking about values. We, this is part two. Last week we said that values are the things that are important to us. They're the things that we give value to, that we give worth to in our lives. We talked about the way that we value punctuality and that we're not a church that values punctuality, right? 60% of you guys come in the door between 1101 and 1108. That's just how it works, okay? That's, that's all right. Jesus still loves you. Um, and we said some of us, punctuality means being somewhere 15, 20 minutes early, like Ian. For some of us, punctuality means 15 or 20 minutes late, like my mom, right? For some of us, we actually show up when we're supposed to, like Jesus. Okay, that's what I do. I don't know. <laughs> she was here on time? All right, great job, Mom. Um, so what we're asking here is, and what is a Jesus-centered, followers of Jesus, a community that's following Jesus, a gospel-centered community, what do we value? What's important to us? What do we give worth to? And so what we've been doing is we've been looking at the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, to see what the early church valued. What did their community look like? And what we saw is we used this acronym GRACE. And in the middle of GRACE, the letter A, we said it stands for awe-struck worship. But we give worth to, value, more than anything else, is the person of God himself. And we said that what, what we value, what we give worth to, we give ourselves to. So what we worship in our lives is what we give ourselves to. And we said that there's, there's, there's four things. There's, there's the sacrifice of our lips. And there was two things we looked at last week that are the sacrifice of our lips, our gospel-centered teaching that we proclaim the truth of Jesus to each other and to this lost world. And then we also, we pray without ceasing, relentless prayer, that we praise God for who he is, and that we pray to him as, as a symbol of our dependence on him. And then this week, we're going to look at the sacrifice of deeds, and the things that we do, the way that we live, and we're going to look at a compassionate community that we're called to love one another, and we're called into egoless service, serving others, our community, and our world and so we're going to look at these two today, and the first one we're going to look at is compassionate community. In Acts chapter 2, it says in verse 42, they devoted themselves, this is the early church, they devoted themselves to a number of things, and one of them was the fellowship, the fellowship. Now, if you grew up in church, the word fellowship to you might mean uh, coffee and donuts 10 minutes before the service, right? Now, again, most of you don't come early before the service, so maybe you don't even, I don't know, sometimes I feel like I'm intentionally driving you guys away, I don't know, I'll, I'll, I'll repent of that. But the word here, fellowship, the Greek word was koinonia. It's where we get our word communion, and it means it has a sense of togetherness, and the word itself, it meant partnership or teammates. Now, what do you hear when you, when you hear partnership or teammates? You, it's, it's not passive. Church is not primarily just an event to come and watch. We as the church, we're not primarily spectators, we are participators, We said with the sports analogy that that the leaders are coaches and the rest of the church, we're all players. We're all engaged in this game. There are no cheerleaders in the church. We are all engaged into what God has called us to do in making disciples. And so you're not here just to watch me and the worship leaders kind of do the song and dance for you week after week. We're called into a partnership. We're doing this together. You and I, we're like Batman and Robin, right? (laughs) Dibs on Batman, obviously, right? Because you don't want to be Robin. I don't know. Robin, what's going on there? <laughs> Struggle is real for Robin. Um, but the Acts 2 church, they were partners. They were teammates in this koinonia, this communion, this fellowship with one another. 
And so what does this look like? What did life partnership together look like? We're going to see four things about their togetherness this morning. The first one is that they were together. Verse 44, and all who believed were together. Now, this might seem so obvious that it hurts, but we must address this because of how often we neglect this in our lives. We cannot be a community that's unifying, growing together, loving one another, making disciples if we do not occupy the same time and space as each other. We've got to be together. I remember um, when I led a mission trip uh, with a bunch of teenagers to Mexico, and we got stuck in an elevator in Mexico for two hours, right? It sounds like the start of a really bad joke, but it's true, okay? And, and, and this time and space together, like, we were forced to be in this, this space with some stinky teenagers, right, for two hours. And we look back and we have memories that were formed out of just having to occupy the same time and space as one another. That's one of the things I loved about coaching, I remember going on road trips and you'd be forced, you'd be in some random village and you'd have all these hours to burn between games and so of course we'd play catchphrase or you'd do things like that just to be, as you spent time together, you saw each other in the morning, at night, you saw each other at your best and at your worst when you were cranky and it was that time together where we really grew in relationship with one another. It's one of the really powerful things about a mission trip. It's just that time spent together. You can't replace that. You can't fabricate that. That's why the weekend to remember coming up can be so powerful. Just that time and space occupied together. And this is also one of the things that we have to be weary of about the age that we particularly live in now, the age of a smartphone, the age of social media. And you look at what can often look, here's a, here's a family with a nice restaurant outing in 2018, right? There they all are, spending quality time together. Or a group of friends hanging out in the hallway, right? And isn't this what happens often? Like, we're together, but we're not really together anymore. Now, I'm not here to blast smartphones and social media. These are tools. And the issue is always the human heart. It's, it's us. It's not the tool. But we have, to be, we have to come into these things with our eyes open. I saw this quote this week that was helpful to me. It said, social media provides an illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship or intimacy. Now, can we use social media for the glory of God? Absolutely. There's ways to connect with people that it's allowed us to that we haven't in the past. But if we allow that to supplant eyeball to eyeball, physical sharing of time and space with one another, what we're going to see is we have an illusion of companionship, of togetherness. But we're going to start to see the intimacy, real friendship, real koinonia start to dissolve. We need to come in it with our eyes open. So, as we do these things together, what are we called to do together? Because it's more than just being in the same space. It's not just that we huddle up and here we all are. We did it, you guys. What are we called to do while we are together? Well, the next one that we talk about is that they worshiped together. Verse 46, day by day, attending temple together. Now, notice what it says. The New Living says they worshiped the temple together. But it doesn't just say that they gave them there once a week on Sunday mornings. They were there every single day at the temple, day by day. You go, what, i got to come to the church every single day now? 
well, yeah, if you want to be a good Christian. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. Um, we have to understand the context. At the time, these were, these were a Jewish community, and these devout Jews that lived in Jerusalem, where the temple was located, there were these hours of prayer. There were three hours of prayer every day, 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. And so a devout Jew would go to the temple three times a day for these hours of prayer. So this was part of their cultural rhythm. And the point here, the application, isn't how often we go to church. Remember, we are the church. The church is not a building. It's not this gymnasium. It's a people. And the point isn't just how often we come to this building, but it's every time we gather together, whether it's a formal gathering on Sunday morning at 11.08, or it's a coffee shop together at 3 in the afternoon. Wherever we are, the core of what we're called to do is to worship, give value to, elevate our God together. And this is why we, we use this logo for our church. We're to do life together with Jesus in the middle of it wherever we are and whatever we're doing, that we're worshiping him in this community. Now, Sunday morning service, that's that's an important part of our weekly rhythm. But we have to understand that this is not the main event. Think about it like a high school pep rally. Okay, when you go to a pep rally, what are they doing? They got the band there, the cheerleaders there. They're getting everybody all pumped up. For what? Not just for the pep rally. It's not, a, it's not a rally unto itself just to get more pep in your life. It's to get you excited for what? The game that's to come afterward, right? That's the main event. The pep rally is to encourage and get people excited for the main event. This, what we're doing right here, this is not the main event. This is to encourage us, to excite us, to, to equip us to go to the main event, which is tomorrow morning at work when you're rubbing shoulders with a person that doesn't know Jesus. That's the main event. The main event is Thursday evening when you get together as a home group and you've got to gently, lovingly confront a brother or sister who's just being ravaged by sin. The main event is as we get on our knees together to pray for the hurting and the sick and the lost in our lives and in this community. This is a pep rally for the main event. And and we see this in Hebrews 10. The writer of Hebrews says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love, compassionate community, acts of love and, and good works. And this is the context for the verse that we all know. Let us not neglect or forsake, other translations say, our meeting together. To be together. Why? As some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Jesus is coming back. The stakes are high. Wheat and chaff are going to be separated out. We've got a job to do, and we need to get together. Why? We're not just gathering together to hear Justin preach. We need to gather together to encourage one another, to stimulate one another, to go out and do these good works, to love each other and our communities. And we've got to keep that in context. And remember we said, the, the quote we used from Andy Stanley as he said, whenever everyone, when everyone's sitting in rows, you can't do any one another's. Like right now, I can, and Lord willing, I can encourage you, but we can't love each other. We can't encourage one another, stimulate one another to love and good works while we're all sitting in rows facing in one direction. Discipleship has to happen in the rhythms of our lives. Now, formal teaching's important. It's a part of it. But we said more is caught than taught, and the informal aspects of discipleship are probably even more important or as important as the formal teaching. When, when Paul said, imitate me 
as I imitate Christ, he was saying, watch me as I live my life. Not just watch me while I sit in church. Like imagine Timothy, if he's following Paul, Paul didn't say imitate me as I sit in a church service. So Paul, like Timothy's just watching Paul. Like how does he sit in that service? Oh, look, I notice he leans to the left. What's up with that? You know, and he, he's, oh, he's taking some notes. I'll take some notes about him taking notes. Look how often he, he blinks during every minute, right? Paul didn't go to the bathroom once during that entire sermon, right? What a warrior, right? He's, he's not just watching Paul it's sitting in a church service. He's watching him live his life on these missionary journeys. He's watching him teach. He's watching him heal people. He's watching how Paul eats. Like, does the man chew with his mouth closed, right? He's watching what kind of jokes Paul likes to tell. He's watching how Paul talks to unbelievers and shares the gospel with them. He's watching how Paul handles false teaching in churches. He's watching how he endures beatings and being mocked and stoned and how Paul endures while he's imprisoned for the, for the sake of Christ. I mean, that's real life together. That's discipleship in motion. And that's the kind of life that we're called to, to, together. We, we have to live life together. Like your children, as they watch you and become like you, it's not just in a church service. They watch, they watch how mom, oh, that's how mom uses her phone. That's how I want to use my phone too, right? And, and then I, this is how dad shaves. This is how I'm going to shave, right? It's, it's real life together. So, so as we said, pursue a Paul. Who in your life is following Jesus that you can imitate them as they imitate Jesus? And this is beyond the church service. How does your Paul in your life, how do they raise their kids for better and for worse? How do they treat their spouse? How do they show hospitality? You'll only know that if you're in their home, right? How do they talk to unbelievers? How do they share their faith? How do they handle conflict when it comes up in their lives? How do they deal with personal temptations? How do they teach? How do they serve? How do they handle their money? Are they generous people? We can't know this from a Sunday morning service. We have to do life together. And one of the specific ways that we apply this that we see in the early church is that they ate together. They ate together. Hallelujah. Right? They devoted themselves to fellowship, to prayers, and to the breaking of bread. Now, this term can indicate, and we're going to do this later together, the bread and the cup. The breaking of bread, the sharing of the koinonia, the fellowship of the Eucharist. But it could also mean more than that. Look at verse 46. And day by day, breaking bread in their homes. This can also be a, a, a term, a kind of a euphemism for eating together. And they did this daily. And they did this in the context of, of their homes. And, and I love this. They would often, when they would get together, they'd have this meal they called the love feast. That's when you know you're eating good. When you call it a love feast, like sign a brother up, right? I want to be a part of a love feast. And at the end of the love feast, as we'll celebrate that a week from Friday together at our communion service, at the end of that love feast, they would take the bread at the table and they'd break it, pass it around. They'd take the cup and they'd pass it around and they would remember Christ's breaking of his own body for us and the spilling of his blood as a covenant for his love for us. And I thought, how cool would that be if we did this? I mean, not just, you know, in church services together, but we were at our table as a family. And at the end of the meal, someone grabs that last king's Hawaiian roll, because that's the only way to love feast. And someone takes a cup and they pass it around. And if you're a germaphobe, you can use your own cup, whatever. And, and we celebrate, I and mean, that's life together. Like we just said, let's remember what Jesus did for us here after dinner tonight. How beautiful. And it says here, I just want to highlight there in yellow, in their homes, 
And one, one of the things that I love about our home groups is that we're in each other's homes, in these spaces together. And one of the best parts of home group is eating together, and not just because food is awesome, but because we have this chance, there's this, there's this unity and this intimacy that can come from being in each other's homes, from, from eating together, that can come in, in no other context. And what we see is, is that it's not just this community that's together, worshiping together and eating together, but we, we, we call it a compassionate community. And this word compassionate, in, in, the, in the Jewish mindset, it meant this, to be moved as to one's bowels. <laughs> now, there's a lot of really, like, I could get in trouble here, right? Like, I'm walking on thin ice. There's a lot of jokes that I kept sc- scratching out. I didn't want the elders to email me this week. I did not want to be in trouble with them. So I'm going to be the biggest, bigger person, and we're just going to pass through this one, all right? You see what I, all right, all right. I'm just going to leave that alone, all right? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> nope, keep going, Justin. Keep going. Not profitable. Not profitable. Every word in account one day. All right. Um, the, the, when we say, I love you, and we want to say, like, I love you with all my heart. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's kind of our Western American mindset. Like the seat of our emotion and desires and affections are our heart. Well, in the Jewish culture, it was their bowels. And so when I love you in the seat of my bowels, it's the, it's the most, it is the, in the depths of my soul. Like this is from the, the bottom of who I am. I love you from all my bowels. Like put that on your next Valentine's card, right? And what they're saying is this is a community that was marked by the most, the most devoted love possible. Jesus told us this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That we're not just together, but that we are loving one another. And the way that this expressed itself above all is the way that we serve one another. And that brings us to our, our last one here, e, egoless service. Egoless service. The last thing they did together was they served together. They were together, they worshipped together, they ate together, and then they served together, or they served one another. Verse, verse 44, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, some of us go, whoa, wait a second. Are they like instituting communism? Like, is this just kind of a new socialist regime that says no one owns anything anymore, and we just kind of put it all in the pool, and there's no ownership? But look at carefully at what they say here. They're selling their possessions and giving to those in need. This is not some kind of stringent form of communism. This is generosity. They were selling their possessions, sharing their home, their meals, with those who had need. This was not a universal command. This was voluntary generosity. And again, we've got to know the context that Acts 2 was written in. Remember, Jesus, it was, this, this all happened. The Holy Spirit descended on them on the day of Pentecost. And Pentecost was one of three Jewish festivals where Jews from all over the world would gather at Jerusalem to celebrate. And so you had all these out-of-towners gathered in Jerusalem. This was very strategic by our God, who doesn't do anything by accident. There's all these people gathered. And in verse 41, it says 3,000 people came to know Jesus. This first batch of believers was enormous. And so now you have all these out-of-towners who were like, what is this new thing? And they, they wanted to sit under the apostles' teaching. And so as they're there from out of town, they go, man, I don't got a place to stay. And so one of the believers goes, hey, I got to pull out. Right? Hey, you can come stay at my house. Hey, why don't you come and share meals with us at our house tonight? And hey, I, actually, I'll sell something so I have some money to give to you to help you out while, you, while you're here. That's where a lot of this is, is coming from in, in context of Acts chapter 2. And so, so here's the idea. This is not teaching communism. This is selfless, egoless 
generosity. So, so for example, this little boy, look at, look at how sweet he is. She didn't have a plastic elephant, so he's going to let her borrow his, right? Now think about this. If I, I, I have a car. Now it's easy to see my little Kia Optima out there in the parking lot as mine. It's my car. I paid for it with my own money, right? It's mine. And I'll use it for what I want, right? Well, what's, what's the mindset here that we're being taught in Acts chapter 2? Hey, do you need a ride? <laughs> Love to use my car to give you a ride. Hey, do you need to borrow my car? Would you even be willing to give a vehicle away if, if God called us to? How do we view our possessions? Our food, our clothing, our homes? Like, we're, we're, we're Americans, and so we, we love, we, this is how we often see our belongings, right? It's my stuffed bunny, right? Get away from my stuffed bunny. Especially in Alaska, like, we have, this, we have this independent spirit. We're individuals, right? We're highly materialistic in the West. And the way that we see our possessions, this is mine. Instead of really seeing it for reality, that all things come from him. And he gave them freely to us so that we would freely give them away. Now, I'm not saying that we enable people laziness like we see and i know there's 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 aspects of the welfare system or we can look at at what it looks like to give things away but if i'm going to read jesus's teachings <laughs> i'm going to err on the side of, of generosity to give to people and i'm going to use discernment we're not enabling people to, to not work for themselves to not take care of their family but we are called we are called into this to give to others freely and to give joyfully to give joyfully. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians. Paul said, right now, he's talking to this church in Corinth, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. So right now, this church at Corinth was in a healthy place, right? That's where our church is right now. I mean, I just want to say thank you to everybody who's been giving so generously these last couple years. So we have been doing so well financially. And he says, this church in Corinth, you're doing well. But, he says, later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. He goes, there's going to come a time when, when you don't have everything you need. And so right now, as you have enough, give to those who don't. Because later, there's going to be a time when, when you don't have enough and others will give to you. And this is so beautiful to think about in terms of our neighbors. Now again, we're Alaskans. Like for us, a good house, as we're looking on the market, is a house where all you can see around you is trees, right? I don't even want to see my neighbors. How many of us even know what our neighbors look like, you know? But here's the call. The call is to love our neighbor, our literal neighbor, as well as our, those other, others in our community, and to get to know them. This is countercultural. But, but let's say, for example, like you come over to your neighbors and you find out they need some help. They got a leaky faucet, and if, you, if, if they're like me, they don't know what in the world they're doing. And you go, hey, I know, I know a few things. Let me help, help you out with your leaky faucet. And then a little while later, like you're not very good with your electronics and your Wi-Fi's down and they can come over and help you with your Wi-Fi and this, this beautiful way of, of helping each other when we have need. And the other thing this does is this opens a door as we love them, as we give generously to our neighbors. It, sh- it, ge- it shows them Jesus with skin on it, and it opens the door to potentially share the gospel with them, or if they're a believer, to encourage them, to make disciples. And in verse 46, it says, they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. So they weren't just like, fine, come over. You can have, no, not that. You can have that, right? No, they, they, they gave with joy and, and generosity. And man, my prayer is that we would be a people that would be known for our generosity, and not just with our stuff, not just our treasure, but also that, that our time, that we don't just see it as my time, it's my free time, it's my this time, and our talents, 
the time, talent, and treasure, that we would be marked by generosity, that we would give freely to others. And that's why we call it not just service, but egoless service. Egoless, not about me. And there's any chapter in the Bible that I think speaks to this egolessness that we're called to. It's Philippians chapter 2. Look at this verse. Paul says, do nothing. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now we could meditate on that all day. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He calls us. He says, consider others' needs above your own needs, their interests above your own interests. But, But here's the objection a lot of us have. But what if I give to someone else and they don't give back to me? What if I spend all my time meeting the needs of others, but no one's looking out for me? Man, isn't that victimhood enticing? Who's going to look out for me? Who's, no, no, I've been burned so many times, you don't even know. But let's look at our, our perfect example here. It goes on to verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. God, Jesus was in heaven. He was doing great. He was with, with his Father. He's with the Spirit. He had everything he needed. And he could have just stayed up there and said, y'all deal with your own problems. That's not what he did. It says, but he emptied himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He entered into our stinky, sinful, dirty world. And he limited himself by putting himself in a body. And then it says he even goes lower than that. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So not just becoming a man, but becoming a man who was brutally murdered by the other people around him. Now he could have gone, God, I'm not going down there because what if I give to them and they don't give back to me? What if they don't meet my needs and I'm there to serve all of their needs? He didn't say that because he didn't come down expecting anything back from us. He knew that we were going to kill him. And he did it anyway because he loves us. And he didn't trust humans to give him what he needed. He trusted his Father. Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Because Jesus knew if we humble ourselves, God will exalt us. And after he humbled himself to the point of death, he was exalted and given a name that's above every other name. And we're called to do the same thing. And when we're called, have you ever been on an airplane and, and they tell you, you know, those little packets that you never open up and read, you know what I'm talking about? The little thing, it says, place the oxygen mask on yourself first before helping small children or others who may need assistance. So it says, put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Now, is that saying, think about yourself more than small children? No. It's saying if you can't breathe, you will not be very helpful to other people. Like a dead person can't put an oxygen mask on another person. So I've got to be able to breathe first before I can help others. Now, you know, here's what it's saying. The reason you and I can freely give to others, regardless of whether or not they give us anything back, is because I've already got my oxygen mask on. I have all I need in Jesus. That we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. That He, that we can be content in Him and Him alone. 
And because I, all my needs are met in Jesus and not in other people, I'm freely to give to other people regardless of how they receive it, regardless if they give something back to me or not, because I'm not looking to anything from them. I have all I need from him and that he'll take care of me like the lilies in the field and the sparrows in the sky. That's my God. He's met all of my needs in Christ. Freely I've received, now freely to give. And when we put worship in the middle of our life of our God, we say, God, I value you above everything else. I need you and you alone. So I'm going to freely give myself to you, trusting my spirit in your hands. And I can serve egolessly to the people around me. So, so what, is this, what, what does this look like? What are the results? If these are our values, if we become a, a church marked by this kind of, of community grace, What's the results? What, what, will, what will happen? Well, look at what happened at the end, the exclamation point on the end of Acts 2. It says, that, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Did you see that? What was the result? The Lord added to their number every single day those who were being saved. Now, read it carefully. It does not say that Peter added to their number. It doesn't say the disciples added to their number. It says the Lord added to their number. He said, I will build my church you be the kind of community that I've called you to be, and the result will be the world's going to take notice, and I'm going to fatten the bride. I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to add to the number of who are mine. This is the beautiful thing, is that as we do this together, we are, we, we, we are together, we eat together, we, we serve one another. We are the kind of community called, God's called us to be. This is the result. Now, this, this shows us, Acts 2 shows us how to avoid two common pitfalls that churches can fall into, okay? Two, two common pitfalls. Here's the first one. The first one, we can become way too inward focused. Okay, this is the kind of church that just looks in at themselves. And it's this little convent that, that huddles up to protect themselves from the outside world. We don't want to look anything like the world. This is usually the kind of church that they, they haven't sang a song that was written like post-1800, Right? Chris Tomlin is the devil in those churches. <laughs> now, they're great, at, they're great at, these kind of churches can be great at in-depth Bible study, at, at, at even sometimes loving each other well, but they never make contact with the outside world. And they never grow. We want to avoid that pitfall. But we also want to avoid the other pitfall where we're too outward focused. And let me explain what I mean by that. That sometimes a church tries so hard at reaching those who don't know Jesus, which is a good thing, but if we're spending all our time trying to be hip and relevant and fog machines and laser lights and a worship leader with a tattoo on their arm, right? We try to do all these things to reach unbelievers, but then a lot of times those churches you'll find are very, very shallow, where the preaching is shallow, right? There's no, they're not equipping believers. They, make, they might make converts, but they don't equip disciples. They don't make disciples becoming complete in Christ. We don't want to err too far on that side either. So what does a healthy church look like? How do we not fall in either trap? Well, a church, a healthy church is one that's unified, healthy, and loving each other in the way that we've been called to here in Acts 2. Egoless generosity and service and compassion. But then it's not just that. It's that, and, and, and again, we're, we're not perfect, we're sinners, right? But we're growing, growing toward that kind of community. And if we're not healthy as a church, the way we treat each other, then we're not going to be in a place where we can bring other people inside. I think about like a dysfunctional family. You've got an alcoholic, abusive father, you've got a neglecting mother, the whole family's in disarray. Is that the kind of family that's going to adopt a child into their family? Now, OCS, I hope that they're all over that. 
If we're not a healthy family, how are we going to add to an unhealthy family? And again, not perfect, but, but sinners saved by grace growing together. And so a healthy church is one that loves each other, equips and empowers each other to go into the world, engage the lost, bring the lost into this healthy, growing family, and then equip and empower them to go engage more lost. And you see the cycle. There's healthy love within, but there's reaching to without. So, so here's how I want to land the plane this morning. There's a couple of inserts in your, in your bulletins. And if you don't have one, um, I've got Doug in the back. He's going to help us out. If you need a bulletin, we've got a few more. Uh, throw your hand up, and, and we'll bring one to you. I really want you to be able to look at these inserts, okay? And this also tells us who avoided Mary Jean this morning, okay? Who, who didn't get a bulletin from her? No. Um, and as you, there's two, two handouts in there I want you to look at. This first one is called Ministries at a Glance. And it kind of gives us an idea of what's coming up this spring, right? Uh, what, what, what's, what's God doing at Peninsula Grace this spring? And as you look at this, I, I, wanna, I just want to give us some, some, some practical ways to walk into compassionate community and egoless service, okay? And what you're going to see in the insert of the ministries at glance is one of them is, is this list of home groups. And once a week, these home groups meet together, and, and I think are a lot closer to what Acts 2 is calling us to be than even what we're able to do here in this context of a church service. We eat together. We pray with one another. We're in God's word together. We get to build relationship for each other, know one another, pray for one another. And I invite you to, to look at that list. We've got phone numbers in there. To maybe take the step this week of calling one of those home group leaders. Hey, I'd like to come check it out, what this is all about. And you can see a whole bunch of other ministries there. Throughout the week, Wednesday nights, uh, all throughout the week, there's, there are communities of compassion that you can plug into, become a part of what we're called to value here in Acts chapter 2. This will also be, we'll have some of these things available on the Breeze app as a form that you can kind of check out so we know who's interested in some of these areas or we can contact you or ways that you can contact us. And the other thing you've got in your bulletin is this thing I call engage, equip, and empower. And these are areas that we can serve, egoless service. And you see Sunday mornings and with our children and with the youth, there are many different ways to be involved in the already weekly rhythms that we have here at the church. But then it's, much, it's not just doing things within these walls or with our people on the back. It's, what about beyond these walls? How can we engage the lost, the hurting, the broken, the marginalized in our community? And Lisa did a great job at, at kind of compiling a lot of the ministries that we, we partner with uh, here, right here in our community of Slotna and Kenai, ways that we can be involved. And, and here's, here's my challenge to us this, this week, is what step are you going to take into compassionate community, into egoless service? Maybe for you, it's doing that terrifying thing of picking up the phone and calling one of the home group leaders. I'd like to try it out. You can even text. We'll even let you text, right? Or maybe it's calling the pregnancy care center and saying, you know, God's been knocking on my heart to get involved here. Is there any way I can volunteer and serve? Or maybe you're already a ministry leader and you need to invite a Timothy along to be a part of the ministry that you're already a part of. Remember we said pursue a Paul and train a Timothy. We can put these bulletins out till our faces turn blue, but the best way to go about it is going to be one-on-one individuals going up to other individuals and engaging them and asking them if they'd like to be involved in something. So what step is God calling you into today? How, How do we apply this? to ourselves. We, we said at the end of this, at the, at the beginning of all this, this is our vision frame to remind us of what we're supposed to be about as a church, our purpose. And we said that our mission, our goal is to present everyone complete in Christ, that everyone on planet earth would have an opportunity to know Jesus, 
to love him, believe him, obey him, become mature in him, because there is no other place where there's joy and hope than the relationship with the person of Jesus. And the kind of church that God envisions that will be a church that works toward that goal is a gospel-centered community reproducing disciples of Jesus. Are you a part of that community? Are you a part of reproducing disciples who reproduce disciples? And we said specifically how we want to go about that, our method, engaging the lost. Are you praying for three people every day that don't know Jesus? Are you intentionally building relationships with those in our community that are the lost? And then are we equipping the founder? Are you being equipped? Are you equipping others? Are we empowering others? Are we giving over our ministries to others so they can be involved in ministry? Are we seeing this? And then, and then our measures. Are, are we, ask yourself, am I believing God's word? Am I getting into God's word in, in community with other believers on my own? Am I believing it and applying it more than I did last year and 10 years ago? And, and am I becoming more like Jesus. We'll know we're believing his word when our character changes, when we start loving like Jesus loves, doing the things that Jesus does, Christ in us. And then am I being led by the Holy Spirit? Is he, is it his power or mine? Is it the Holy Spirit's direction or is it where I want to go? And then the last two weeks we talked about grace, the values of grace. Are we plugging in to this community? Are we serving one another in the worship of our God, hearing from him, speaking to him? Each of us are called to glorify God by making disciples. What step does he have you taken this week? And what I want to do, instead of me closing in prayers, I'm just going to invite you to take a minute or two by yourself. And as the worship band comes up, they'll, they'll know when it's time to go into our next song as we take communion and worship together. I just want you to take a, do a little bit of heart work with the Lord this morning. Take a minute or two as you're looking through, what, where is he calling you to join into deeper community and to go into deeper service, trusting that Jesus has met all of our needs and we're now free to give to this world.